Good morning. Uh, my name is Derek. If, uh, if this is your first time, just want to say uh, welcome to you. You are catching us uh, in week two of a series that um, is called New Year, New You. And uh, today we're talking about money. And money is a sensitive enough topic as it is, uh, let alone when a church is talking about money. Amen? So before I start opening my mouth uh, about this subject, I actually wanted to do something a little bit interactive. I wanted to, um, to give you guys a chance to, to shout out some thoughts that you had about money. And, uh, and so, Betsy, if you, could, if you could join me up here, I'm going to have you help take some notes. What I want to do is I want you guys just to kind of, there you go, I want you to uh, just kind of react to this. When you hear that a church is talking about money, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Just want you raise your hand if you have. What's the first thing that pops into your mind? Okay, go ahead. Fraud. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. What else? The church is talking about money. What pops into your mind? Building fund. Give that one. Here you go. Building fund. Okay. I'm getting more hands now. Okay. Collection plate. Thank you. Yes. Guilt. All right. Good. Church is talking about money. Got room for a few more. No, I'm sorry. We're going to try something. <laughs> okay. Stewardship Sunday. And we're all supposed to tithe. Oh, you give me another dollar anyway. Who cares? All right. Come on. Other other thoughts. What hits you when the church is talking about money? Yeah. Giving. Okay. What else? Awkwardness. <laughs> yeah, this isn't going exactly how I'd envisioned it would. Um, all right. Anything else? Yeah. Say it again. Suspicion. Yeah, you're like, what is he doing? Is this real money? Okay. A couple more. The church is talking about money. You had a hand up here? Did you have one? Darn, oh man. Dag gang it. Darn, oh man. Good job. Okay. Yeah, darn, oh man. Okay. Yes, sir. What's wrong with the church's budget? Yes, that's good. Is this the, is this the time the church is doing their fundraiser? Okay, mission. There you go. We can do some positive. Just going for visceral reaction. There you go. Charity. All right. I'm, I, I'm out of dollars. You still want to share? Okay. What's that? More. More. Always want. Oh, that's very generous. If you look at this giving spirit. Can you guys pass that down to the man in the plaid? Okay. Beautiful. Good deal. Thank you, guys. And Betsy, thank you very much. We appreciate that. Okay. So we got a lot a lot on here. Um, see, the church has a good, good rep when it comes to money, doesn't it? I mean, um, anyway, well, here's what comes to my mind. I don't know where I picked this up, uh, but before I was coming to Grace, I just kind of had this idea when the church was talking about money, it was because I kind of got this message that it's because God needs it. That was, the word for me would be need. That somehow, you know, hey, you got to give because in order for, for this church to accomplish the purposes that God set it out to do, um, you know, you, you've got to give to this thing so we can do all the things that, that God has tasked us to. So that, so that the kingdom of God can advance the way it's supposed to. God needs your money. 
And uh, what's so interesting is that is so counter to, um, to what the Bible says. If you look in Psalm uh, chapter 50, verses 9 through 12, uh, this is just one place where, where there's a, a, a distinct biblical principle that shows up. And here's what God says in Psalm 50. He says, I don't need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens, for all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains, and all the animals of the field are mine. All the world is mine, and everything in it. So what we see from the scripture is God doesn't need our money, right? God, I mean, God owns everything. If, if God wanted to do something, you think God is going to sit there and say, well, I sure hope that so-and-so gives today so that, so that we can go ahead and do this. No, if God wants to do it, God is just going to part the sea. He's just going to, he's going to do whatever needs to be done instantaneously. So if God doesn't need our money, per se, why over and over and over again in the Bible are we told to give? It's scripture after scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, over and over, it says, yes, God wants us to give. So what is the deal? Well, uh, if you brought your Bible today, I want you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to turn to Deuteronomy 26. You can follow along on your outline or up on the screen. Um, but let me tell you what's happening in Deuteronomy 26 before we dive in to the first 11 verses here. So in the book of Deuteronomy, the the... God's chosen people, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, um, are they're wandering in the wilderness. They're wandering in the desert. They've been freed from slavery in Egypt, and they're getting ready now to enter into this land of milk and honey that God has promised to them. And so God is giving them some, some instructions uh, of what they're supposed to do when they come into the promised land. So we pick it up in Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 11. I think it, it gives us some great understanding about why God wants us to give. It says this, When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. And the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament, the understanding was that was the tabernacle. That was, that was where the, the, the Jewish people believed that God's, God physically dwelt. Okay, So he's saying, bring it to the tabernacle and then say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. And then the priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. So essentially what we've got going on right now is God saying, okay, when you get to the land, I want you to take some of those first fruits of your first harvest and bring them to the altar as an offering to me. Okay? Then, in verse 5, here's what you're supposed to say. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God these words. So you're declaring this to God. My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. But then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, our toil, and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, 
a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Then place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given you and your household. All right, so here's what's going on in this passage. God is saying, okay, listen, when you finally get to the promised land, okay, and you have that first bountiful harvest, I want you to bring those first crops that you've grown as an offering to me. Now, this would be a major deal. Think about it for, for, the, for the Jewish people. They've been wandering in desert-like conditions for years, totally dependent on God. Now, they actually will be able to settle. They'll be able to plant. They'll be able to grow. So now they have some, some security, right? They have some self-sufficiency going on. And God says, from those first fruits, I want you to bring some of them and lay them down before me as an offering. And the question is, why? Why would God have them do this? And what hits me is that if you think about, if you've read it all in the book of Exodus, maybe, or other passages where you're kind of hearing about the story of the Israelites, the Israelites had this great knack for totally forgetting God, right? I mean, everywhere you look in the Old Testament scriptures, the the Israelites are turning their back on God. They're wandering far away from God. And basically, I think what God is doing here is he's saying, I know you guys have a tendency to think that it's all about you but it's not. And so what God is doing in this passage, I think this is curious, in 11 verses, you guys, in these 11 verses, six times God is trying to hammer them home a point. And I've underlined, if you've got one of your bulletins or you're looking up on the screen, I've underlined kind of the six times where God is repeating, he's giving them a reminder of something. And what he's basically saying is, don't forget that ultimately, yes, you've done, you've worked hard, you know, you've, you've come through and you've journeyed and you've had to fight off some enemies and you've had to till that Middle Eastern soil, which I'm sure wasn't the easiest thing to do, and you've broken your backs and finally you've produced a harvest. But don't you forget, people of Israel, that I am the one who have given this land to you and these crops have come from me. And so when... When God is saying, I want you to to take some of those first crops as an offering and lay them down at the altar, basically what God is doing is he's giving them a tangible reminder that everything that they have comes from God. And that's a lesson that they needed, more than just kind of hearing it, they needed to actually have a tangible experience, right? Is anybody here kind of, you're a learn by doing kind of person? You know, you're an experiential learner. Like right now, it's killing you that, you know, you're just sitting, sitting in the audience and you can't go and participate and interact somehow. Well, you know, if you're wired that way, God is basically saying, I'm going to give you an experiential lesson. I'm going to give you something that will hopefully stick in your mind, that everything that you have, people of Israel, comes from me. Now, that's a lesson that they needed, and that is a lesson that I need. Okay, I'll just, just be real with you guys. I have a, a kind of a similar tendency to, uh, to kind of forget about God at different times, to, to kind of think it's, it's really all about me, particularly when it comes to my finances. I don't know where I got this from, but I just kind of feel like when I get that paycheck, you know, like, that's, that's mine. Like, I worked hard 
for that money, like, you know, and, and whatever I've accumulated has been through blood, sweat, and tears, and saving, and, you know, all that stuff. And so I need that lesson, right? I, I need that reminder. And that reminder for me is, you know, yes, Derek, you've worked hard to, you know, earn that paycheck, but it's almost like God is, is whispering to me, but don't forget that you didn't create your brain. You know, um, you aren't totally 100% responsible for your work ethic. You know, who gave you your personality, Derek? You know, this, this is the kind of things that, that, um, that God kind of whispers to me. It's, it's not all about me. And so whenever I have to go through that process of, of giving, when I, when I write a check and I'm giving back to God, I, I, when, I'm, when I'm doing it right, when I'm in the right mindset, I'm acknowledging, God, you know, you've created me. You've given me a lot of these opportunities. You've wired me this way. You know, you kind of put me in this position. And so, yes, I'm working hard. It's kind of this partnership. But ultimately, everything that I have, God, is ultimately from you. So that was the first thing. The first thing we see in that passage clearly is that giving is a tangible reminder that everything that we have comes from God. The other thing that's very interesting to me about this passage, I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but it starts in verse 5. So, so um, the Israelites are supposed to come and bring this offering and lay it at the altar before God. Okay? And then God says to them, he says, now I want you to declare this thing. And he's talking, I want you to declare this to me, to God. Okay? So, so here they are. So God says, okay, bring it, bring it, set it down. And now I want you to say these words to me. And he goes through in verses 5 through 9. And basically then they're supposed to say to God, tell God the story of how he delivered them from Egypt. That's, does anyone else find that interesting? God just, I mean, so does God have like a memory problem? You know, is there, is there, God just, you know, he just, he needs kind of, you know, every now and then just to kind of hear the story, to be reminded of the story. You know, or is God some sort of insecure egomaniac that, like, it just, man, just God, God just gets what he needs, you know, when they come and they tell that story and he just, oh, you know, God just basks in that. Oh, I'm so great, you know. Um, I don't think that's what, uh, what God is up to there. I, I think the, the bigger reason, um, other than for, for God to remember or somehow God to be acknowledged, is for the people of Israel to remember, for, for them to, to take time to remember what God has done in their lives. And this is a powerful lesson when it comes to giving. Because, you see, um, what this speaks to is our motivation, our motivation behind why we give. God is saying, I want you to lay this down, and then I want you to sit and take some time to tell the story of, of how what I've done for you. So our motivation for giving is out of thanksgiving for what God has done for us. We're not supposed to be, and you got to hear me on this, we're not supposed to be motivated to give by any sort of feelings of guilt or obligation or because you came to church one Sunday and the sermon was all about giving. That's, that's not at all it. If you look um, in, in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 9-7, it says it this way. It says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you guys uh, would uh, join me in welcoming to the front uh, Tom Basher, he is going to uh, share a little bit of his story on this subject. 
Thank you. You guys, uh, see, I mean, when I say welcome, you know, you just like, yeah. Yeah. All right, good deal, man. I'm going to play Oprah here, and you're going to be Tom. That's okay. okay. That's okay. Excellent. So, um, Tom, uh, you're a familiar face here at Grace. I think you've been coming to Grace for about five years now, is it? It's about that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think sometimes if you think someone's been coming for a long time, you kind of assume that they're this, like, spiritual superstar. and uh, Stud. Yeah, spiritual stud. Exactly. Spiritual stud. No. Um, where, where would you say that you are on a, on a spiritual spectrum? Um, I would say that I am now cynical about being cynical. Mm. So not there. far along would be the answer. I mean, if, 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 if uh, 10 is fully committed and 1 is um, out, you know, carousing right now, I'm probably more like 4. Okay. okay. Something like that. And where so were you we, went the first time you walked through the door? Oh, probably minus. Really? Probably minus, yeah. I was thinking about carousing, but I was here. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. I think we can relate to that. Okay. Um, good deal. Well, um, Tom and I were talking this past week, and uh, Tom just has a, a pretty interesting story when it comes to this subject. So I wanted to give you a chance just to, just to tell us a little bit about the last year and a half or so. Yeah. Um, it's quite a familiar start to this. It's, it's, a, it's rooted in adversity. Uh, about 11 o'clock Monday, July 21st, I get a call from my boss to come into an office. And there... I'm told, economic conditions, blah, 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 blah. It's all over. 12 years, it's over. And they give me till the end of the week. It's a particular problem for me because I don't have a green card. So it's pretty much 10 years in America is done. Failure. Um, something was up immediately because that Wednesday, a reminder comes in from the good people at the INS, can we confirm you're still employed at this place? And I say to the man, you have to confirm. So he did. Uh, now, what I'd wanted to do for a while is start my own business, uh, but I lacked the necessary appendages to really leap out there, and I also lacked the necessary visa, um, <laughs> and both the necessary. So what happened was I thought, well, we're going to find out quickly if I'm going to get this visa, so we'll just start this thing and I remember July, whatever it was, 28th, I start to get on the phone. I'm a headhunter, so it's all phone-based, it's chatter. Um, and things did not go well. Things did not go well. We were coming into a recession. Good friends, when you're on one side of the fence, are not so good on the other side of the fence. So I thought, I need some assistance. And as I say, rooted in adversity, I, um, I, said, I said to God, I said, uh, I prayed, and I said, I will tithe. Now, it's one of those contracts that you sign thinking, that's fine. I pay when you pay, so we're all good. Much like a recruitment contract itself. You know, it's contingent upon. Uh, and it seemed a really good idea at the time. I mean, it's a one-way bet. You're going to have success. 10% of it, you're going to have less. So that's, that's absolutely fine. Um, it took... Ten days after six years of waiting for the green card to arrive. And then I started to think, well, this is propitious. This so th this is was ten days after the deal? After the, the deal. deal. After the deal. This, and this yeah. was about a year and a half ago? Yeah. July 2000. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good deal. 
So, uh, all's going well, and I do that thing I do when I'm about to do something that is unpleasant, and I start to tell people I'm going to do it. Make yourself accountable. So I did this when I was quitting smoking. I said, I'm going to quit smoking. And people were saying, I'll give you $500 to not have a cigarette for a year, thinking, you know, they're going to make money off me. Um, so the accountability was key, because then I knew I was going to make a fool of myself to myself if I didn't follow through with this uh, nonsense. So, <laughs> basically all starts going well, and you start accumulating. Now, the, I mean, I don't know how many people are self-employed here, but when you don't have a regular paycheck, it's quite a scary thing. It's highs and lows. You collect it, you bank it, and then you wonder, well, where's the next one coming from? Because the mortgage is unrelenting, the food bills are unrelenting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So whatever wealth you have, it's, it's, it's good, but you never know about tomorrow. So come the end of the year, and I'd even told John, probably had a beer or two or something. I said, you know, I'm going to be tithing this year. You know, uh, <laughs> that's, 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 Go get yourself a Mercedes. <laughs> uh, knock yourself out. A little toy one, probably. But uh, he didn't flinch. It, it comes to, and I'm a man who likes the tax efficiency of life. It comes to, uh, to Christmas, and then it comes to like the 28th, 29th. I'm working out, well, when are they going to be in the office? What's the last minute I can do this? <laughs> but there has to be, and this was the thing I realized before this moment, there has to be a transformation because as soon as I realized I was going to have to give money, I immediately objected to it. I mean, immediately I knew this was going to be about as ungracious as it could possibly be. You know, here. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is that uh, my wife's a very, very spiritual person. And she encourages me in this, and she encouraged me. And, and Malachi 3 says it. It says it challenges you. Do this. John said it. This is the one thing you're allowed to test on. And this is why I did it. I mean, of all the spiritual things to do, do the one where you kind of bring it on. That's a personal relationship. Bring it on. Outside the club, 2 o'clock in the morning. Come on. Um, and I had to get myself in the right mood. Now, here's the, here's the deal with this. This is what I had to do. Because the... The giving of gifts, you know, I don't know if you send Christmas cards at Christmas, but there are people who send Christmas cards, and I know they're checking whether we send them back. And then we don't get them the next year, and then that's it. The Christmas card relationship is over. <laughs> and where the Christmas card goes, everything else follows. So I'm thinking, I give, you know, the tithe, I wait, nothing comes, and we're done. And actually, I was thinking, that'll be that. So, you know, you have some time, we will set uh, a broad limit, you know, like don't make us go hungry, don't lose the house. And that will be that. And if you don't come up, then we'll be done. So this was the deal. But that doesn't work. Because that, to my mind, is the ungracious giving. That is, that is I'm giving you this Christmas card, and you'd better send me. I'm, I'm sending you on the 16th. There's no excuse. You've got 10 days. <laughs> so what I did was I retrospectively reviewed. And I thought, why should I be grateful? And, of course, the contract is one thing, but let's just move it to one side. It's not in writing, so, yeah. Why should I be grateful? And then you start counting the blessings. And it's, it's, it's I mean, uh, yeah, it's a thing. You should do it. People should do it anyway. Without tithing, people should do that. But that's how I justified it. That's how I got myself into the perfect frame of mind to give and not feel the pain like an amputation financially. Mm. And so by the time it came to the 31st, I did that. And I am telling you, thereafter, things started to happen. I mean, it, we've had people up here before. But in the January, someone said to me in this church, said, oh, you need to come along for an interview at XYZ. 
but there's no room on the shortlist. Fine, great. Uh, but then one Friday, late January, they said, can you come in Monday because uh, the, uh, the fourth person's dropped off. Interview on the Monday, given off on the Thursday. Marvelous. IMF. Marvelous. Counter-cyclical employer. That's what we like in headhunting. Um, and then things followed through. More stuff came. Uh, and, 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 it, and it was magnificent. It was absolutely magnificent. But how quick we forget. <laughs> so come September, uh, this is 2009, I am beginning to doubt the whole scheme because nothing has happened. Actually, a bunch of stuff did not happen that was specifically lined up. Deals that were supposed to happen did not happen because I'm running the two things at the same time, my little thing and, and the IMF thing. Um, and, and just one after another, like, a, like, a, like skittles. There was two weeks, beginning of September, and I thought, well, this is no good. I'm giving, but actually I'm getting further away from the result. And then more stuff came. Literally, I mean, I, I'll tell you now, Derek told me, don't talk about it, so I won't talk about it. But more stuff came of a magnitude that I can't talk about. That's how good it was. Mm. So then I'm thinking, good, we're all lined up beautifully for um, December, and I'm feeling very good about that. And actually, it, it was a pleasure to write the check. That's a weird thing to say, but it was a pleasure to write the check mm. because the, the, the mood that I got myself into was, it doesn't matter if nothing comes now. That was a great year. Mm. You know, it was just such a nightmare for so many people. And for some reason, you chose to do some good stuff for me, so I'm grateful. You know, I was like, against the benchmark. If the benchmark's like this, I'm, yeah, I'm good. Mm. That's, that's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you right there you? for a second. Yeah. Okay. Um, that, that is, I mean, you, if you want to hear the full story with more of the details, I think you can go to the website. CNN. <laughs> <laughs> You, you can go to uh, supperfor5.org, org. Supperfor5.org? Help me out. Dot com? Supperfor5.com, and we've got the full, I, I think, more, yeah. more of the story yes. there. Um, but uh, just for time's sake, um, I just want to I mean, just amazing things happen in, in a terrible economy. And, I mean, here you are already kind of cynical coming in, you know. Um, so, so just kind of want to close with this piece. What, how has that... I mean, you said you were a negative spiritually kind of before you, before you yep. came in. So how, how has that helped you? Even though, you know, you're not all the way there, you haven't got everything figured out, but how has that, what has it done for you from a faith perspective for you? Well, it, 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 puts, it, it puts a test before you. As you, you know, the word that is in Malachi 3 is challenge. So now the challenge is back to me. And the challenge for me is, who is that chap? Gideon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, Gideon with all the, you know, I need more proof, I need more proof, I need more proof. And I'm kind of feeling, you know, when you read Gideon, I don't know where that thing is in the Bible, but you, you kind of think, you're a ridiculous man. I mean, how much do you need to see before you believe? And I feel I'm in that phase right now. So I wouldn't say I'm there. Right. Because I think to be there, as you have to give within yourself in the right spirit, to, you know, purely... And that's hard. So to say, oh, I'm you know, a great and noble Christian, and I would not hold myself up as that, um, I'm not there yet because I know there's a bit of me that still thinks this is all slightly ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And just but the fact, you know, and then on other moments, I'm thinking, oh, fantastic. I mean, it's direct. It's, like it's on TV or something. <laughs> but I flip between the two. And until I don't get that interference, until the cynic shuts up and sits down, um, I'm not going to be there. Mm. And it, maybe, maybe that will never happen. But I, I feel he's quieter. <laughs> cynic, yeah. I can hear him less. That's cool. That's yeah. cool.
Well, uh, we really appreciate you uh, sharing, Tom. Thank you very much. Again, supperforfive.com, we, uh, we do these table conversations with different people at Grace. It's a good way to get to know folks. And uh, we've got a few episodes there, including the one that, that Tom was a part of. So um, anyway, you can hear more of the story and like some of the crazy details of the story that we really didn't have time to get into. Um, it is pretty amazing, though. Um, and if you've been coming to church for any length of time, you've probably heard someone come up and say this amazing testimony of how they, they started tithing, they started giving, and all of a sudden there was this huge windfall and like the whole world was changed for them. And, uh, and you know what? Those stories are important to tell. Okay? But I have to say something about those stories. Okay? There, there are a lot of churches that have taken this biblical principle and, and it is, it's in there. It's not just in Malachi 3 where God says, you know, test me in this. You know, return the tithe to the storehouse and see if I don't pour out uh, blessings on you. But it, there are many places in the scriptures where basically there's a blessing promised to the giver. Okay? Now, I, I just want to, I got to speak to this for a second, okay, you guys? Here's the deal. There's a lot of churches, and what they've done is they've preached what's called a prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. And basically what that is, is like, it's almost like they get up and guarantee that that blessing will be financial. Like, if you give, you'll get back tenfold. You know, just, just put it into play, and you'll be amazed what's going to happen. God is going to do something incredible. And they, they are so narrowly focused, it's all around your financial, you know, your, your, your um, wealth. And what I want to want to just say about that is my understanding of that is that yes there absolutely is a is a blessing for the giver but i think we're way too narrow if we're just thinking that it's going to be a financial blessing now it could happen that way it could happen for you the way it happened for tom it totally could and we hear stories about that all the time but you know it could also be that the blessing it is just purely a spiritual blessing for you. It brings you to a place where, where you have that, that reminder, that tangible reminder that this is all God's and I'm just giving back to you, God. And, and it just it makes you a little bit more humble. It, it makes you a little bit more grateful. It draws you a little bit closer to God. Maybe it just makes you a more generous person. You know, so, so I think we have to be really careful when we look and we, we see there will be a blessing for the giver, okay? Over and over in here. It's, it's in here. But we just got to be really careful that we don't just assume, well, that's definitely going to be financial. You know, let's leave that up to God, um, how he wants to work that out. So with that being said, uh, with the passage we looked at in Deuteronomy 26 and, and uh, hearing some of uh, my fellow uh, Englishman's thoughts, Tom, um, we, uh, what I just kind of want to say as, as we wrap this message up is I want to just invite you to, to give this thing a shot. Now, uh, one thing that I just have to say is uh, I don't know anything about what anyone at Grace gives, and John doesn't either. In fact, the, the only person on staff who knows what anyone gives is the person who has to enter in the financial data. So um, if you think, gosh, she made eye contact with me a second ago, like what was he? What, what, I got them. It's just totally random. So, um, But what I want to invite you to think about is is giving it a shot. You know, God does say for, for us to test him. Now, we don't know how that blessing will return, but um, I invite you to try it. I invite you to, to, to try it with the, the attitude of just saying, God, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give back to you uh, out of thankfulness for what you've done. And this is, this is an acknowledgement that ultimately everything that I have is from you. You created me. 
You know, you gave me the gifts and the talents and the skills. And, uh, and I just have to say this as well. Um, if you think this is about Grace Community Church or like, oh, my gosh, is Grace like financially struggling? Is this why they put this in there? This isn't about Grace Community Church at all. Grace Community Church is doing just fine. Okay? Financially, we're, we're, we're good. So it, when, and John actually said this a few years ago. Man, it hit me so hard when he said, he said, don't even give to Grace if, 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 if you think it's about Grace. It's not. This is, about, this is about you and God. What Tom was talking about, it was him and God, man. They were outside in the back alley at 2 a.m. after the bars closed, you know. This is about you and God. So if you think this is about us making some financial campaign or something, it's absolutely not. Give to a church down the street. Give to a Christian organization that, that you think is doing good work. But give it a shot. Give this principle of giving a shot and just see what happens. God invites us to test him. All right, and one last thing uh, before we close is if you're here and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, like to even think about finances is just so stressful for me. This, you know, I don't have a clue how this thing all works. I got credit card debt. I got school loans. I got, I got car payments. I don't, I don't have any handle on my finances whatsoever. Uh, so this, you're just freaking me out now, okay? Um, I, have a, I have a wonderful resource to share with you. Um, we, we mentioned it in the announcement time. But we um, have partnered with a curriculum called Financial Peace University. And a number of you guys have taken this. In fact, if you see someone near you who has a green sticker on, um, you can feel free to ask them about the course after the service. We're going to have a big sign-up in the back. And all I can tell you about that course is it, it literally helps you to understand where your money's going and have a feeling of empowerment that you're actually dictating what happens to it. How many of you feel like you just money just going? You, you don't have any control. It just happens. It, it, it empowers you. It makes you so, so that if you want to give or you want to do certain things, you have certain goals, you can actually achieve them. It's not, it's not some sort of financial giving seminar. Uh, in fact, there's 13 weeks, and the, the 13th and final week is the only one that talks about giving. So... Um, Anyway, I just encourage you as a resource, the deadline for signing up is actually tomorrow. So you can see um, Nancy and Dennis in the back. Where are you guys? Can you guys stand up for me? Where are they? Can you stand up for me for a sec? So there's Dennis and Nancy. They got debt-free this, this past uh, November. So you can see them in the back, and I'll just leave you with this one last thing. Okay, If you're here and you're under 35 years old, okay, no offense to everyone who's older than that, but if you're under 35 years old, one of the things over and over that people in our last class about 80 or so folks went through it, were saying over and over was, I wish I would have taken this course when I was younger. They looked at the young people in the class, and they were just like, ah, I'm so angry that you, you know, you're getting this information 20 years before me. So if you're here and you're under the age of 35, it is one of the coolest things and a way to kind of set the trajectory right for you. So um, just encourage you with that. All right, let's, let's pray and uh, close out. Uh, God... Um, we just want to uh, say thank you for, uh, for all that you have done for us, God. Not, not all of us are in a place where we're, we're on the mountaintop right now and, uh, and just every life is great. But, God, we do have a lot of blessings. Uh, there are a lot of things that, that we have to be thankful for. And, um, Lord, uh, just help all of us uh, when we give um, to, to just remember that we need to give uh, with an attitude of, of gratefulness to you. And, uh, uh, Lord, um, we thank you that... that we don't give because you need it. Lord, you're the God of the universe. You can do anything. But, Lord, we give because the blessing comes back to us. Lord, uh, that we are somehow touched and changed and impacted. And, um, Lord, just help us all to, uh, 
to, to do what it is that you want us to do, God. And I pray that no one would feel pressure uh, because that's what, not what this is about. But I just pray that everyone here would just be free to, to kind of engage you in a conversation and, and, uh, and just kind of be open to, to what you might say. In Christ's name.